The following interview originally aired on KPOV 88.9 on the Friday Point. You can listen to The Point 9 a.m. each weekday at 88.9 FM or at kpov.org. This morning, we're back with Matt Pridgen, the social justice guy. Uh, Matt's well-versed in the issues that we're going to talk about today, and I'm going to let Matt run with this for just a little bit. How are you, Matt? I'm doing great. So, for the last 40 years, our political landscape has been heavily influenced by neo-economic theory. You were an economics major at Duke. What does this mean, and why does it matter to the average working-class American? Uh, yeah, so... 40 years ago, 1981, Ronald Reagan takes office, and one of the first things he does is he broadcasts to America from the Oval Office, and this is back in the day, you know, when something comes on the TV, you listen, especially your president, a very different landscape than today. He captures the attention of America, and he pitches this idea to us uh, that now we call trickle-down economics. And the idea is that if we cut taxes for the wealthy then eventually it's going to create so much productivity in our industry that we're actually going to get more tax revenue as a nation than we would at our current tax rate. And America sort of, you know, we buy this hook, line, and sinker, and uh, he, he slashes the, the income tax rate. Uh, and what happens is, what you would think happens is that the government starts losing money hand over fist. You know, how does government raise money? We raise money through taxes. Suddenly, we're going into these major deficits. Now, at this time, we didn't have a 20-plus trillion dollar deficit. No president had ever added more than, uh, you know, billions of dollars. It sounds like a lot, but we're not in the trillions yet. So Reagan backpedals a little bit. He's ra- he raises the tax rate uh, just to save face, but he sort of plants this seed, this idea in in our minds that, eventually evolves into this neoliberal economic theory. And there's three tenets of this, and this is so important. I, I, please don't, don't zone out. We're going to get to the practical piece of this, but we have to understand uh, the, the backbone of this because we're seeing it, we've been seeing it for the last four years uh, in, a, uh, in its evolved form. So the first idea is that if you cut taxes, you're going to increase productivity. And the second one is if you raise wages, then you're going to kill jobs. And if you regulate industry, you're going to create inefficiency. And all of these things have truth in theory in the economic classroom. And, and just to, to note, you know, when I went through you know, my economics courses, uh, and anyone who's taken any kind of economics, whether it's a survey course or you know, a full-on major or, or post-grad work, you're going to get this. This theory has dominated the economic landscape. It's so ingrained in anyone who has an economic background that it's just, sort of assumed. And what it does is it creates what we're seeing is, you know, if you ever listen to Donald Trump and his what he says that's positive about his reign of four years, is he talks about the stock market, the stock market, the stock market. Overall, our overall economy is up. But the problem with neoliberal economic theory is it measures the sort of sum all total, GDP, the, our gross domestic product, how, how much we're making totally. It does not track how that wealth is being distributed. And so what happens in the 80s when Reagan proposes this is you have this boom. I don't know anyone who's been around long enough to you know, live through the 80s. The slogan in the 80s was greed is good. And so you, they're cutting corporate tax, tax rate. They're deregulating industry. And it gave us this corporate environment where you can do anything you need to make money, to increase your bottom line. And look at, you know, 
what we're seeing in coronavirus. We saw it in 2008 with the stimulus. It's like corporate welfare is fine. We can give money to corporations because we think, oh, it's all going to trickle down. But we know for, from 40 years of this, uh, this, I, this idea of giving money to the wealthy, giving money to corporations, taking off all their restrictions, is uh, that it doesn't work. What it actually creates is massive in, inequality. And I know you're a tax guy. I know you, you love the, you know, the, uh, uh, you know the taxes are a great way to redistribute wealth. Well, we're at a point now where the 400 richest people in America the billionaire class is about 400 billionaires, which we don't need as a society. Billionaires do not help us. You know, they're not they, you know, harder working or smarter than the rest of us. What has created this billionaire class is our policies, but they pay a, a lower income tax rate than the rest of America, than any other class in America, uh, because of all of the, uh, the breaks and the subsidies that have been given uh, to this corporate elite. The ruling class, and we're at a point now where Trumponomics, which you know we remember Reaganomics, Trumponomics is essentially the exact same thing that Reagan was doing, and it's putting money in the hands of these corporate owners, and you know all of this, uh, this you know the, the, I call it corporate welfare, but the bailouts. What happens when you cut taxes? You know Trump did the big uh, tax cut. But owners are buying shares of their own stock, and it's boosting up their the stock prices, and it's ballooning their fortunes but at the same time they're cutting jobs uh, to create you know to better their bottom line so we're actually seeing at the bottom you know we're seeing that you know in 2020 uh, this massive layoffs and people are struggling just to make ends meet when the 400 billionaires in america have gained a trillion dollars of wealth in 2020 and this is a result of this theory, this this neoliberal economic theory, and it's backwards. You know, the whole idea. It's the the neoliberal part is sort of a resurrected laissez-faire, free market economy. They don't want the government meddling in business, but that but they're totally okay with the government giving massive bailouts. To you know, remember the bank bailouts. You know, they're too big to fail. You know, what would happen if banks fail? Be, I think we'd have a reset. I think it would be great. I'd say let some banks fail, let some corporations fail. But we have this idea: you can give money to corporations, but people that are hungry, uh, you know, people that are that are, uh, you know, homeless, or you know, are more and more people are, are are on the on the brink of homelessness because they live in paycheck to paycheck. Because we have such an uncertain economy, we can't give money to them because they're lazy, you know, and 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 stupid. We just have this mindset, and it's all wrong. And so the, I think before we do anything policy-wise, we've got to change our mindset, you know. You guys do a lot of homeless ministry. I've done a lot of homeless ministry. And I remember having this conversation with a homeless man. He was living in a shed. He was home, He was on the park bench for a while, but uh, someone let him live in the shed behind his house, you know, with no water or electricity, but at least it was a shelter. And he was working full-time as a custodian at a local elementary school. For two years, he had this job. He never got a, a raise. He didn't have any sick time, no paid benefit. And when the school wasn't in like Christmas break or summer break, he didn't have any work. And so he could never get it together to, uh, you know, to, to have a, uh, an apartment. I remember I went with the, to him to the Homeless Resource Center in downtown Charleston, and we were talking about his options, and she's, you know, the lady who runs it, she's a dear friend, an incredible person, but she's like, the only option really is Walmart, $10 an hour. And he's like, I already make $10 an hour, and I, can't, I don't have transportation to get to Walmart. This is, you're telling me this is the best I can do in 2020. And she said, yeah, basically. And, it's, you know, if you... You know, 
if you look at like you know our minimum wage in South Carolina it's seven dollars and twenty five cents an hour. Uh, I know yours is a little bit higher, but uh, if you calculate that out, that's not enough to to even buy an apartment or rent an apartment here. You know, much less food, buy food and clothes and everything else that you need. You know, we have we if we're going to see change, you know, there's there's lots of ways uh, to help people. You can take food and, and clothes to someone who's homeless, but we can also organize and advocate for you know for for wages for. Uh, for policy changes that's going to actually lift everyone up and start sharing the wealth that we're creating. I understand the stock market's up. I understand GDP's up. But my more, more, I'm more interested in how that wealth is distributed than how much we have total as a country. Most certainly, this is not. These are not isolated examples because we see the same thing here in Central Oregon. People have a full time job and are sleeping in their car, and that is should be unacceptable to Americans. Plus, the fact the idea of you know low wage jobs being uh, break into the job market jobs really doesn't ring true because a lot of the people that are having to work these low wage jobs are the elderly and people who didn't do so well in the stock market. Yeah, absolutely. And and also we have to remember that to me I, I you know I'm from South Carolina. You know you've said before you guys live in a bubble, but also the the racial component is really critical and I think one of the major things that we're seeing as a nation right now, it, it, you know, obviously we saw a lot in 2020 about the policing and it, it to me it's not just about policing, it's about this opportunity gap that there's we know there's a wealth gap we know there's an income gap, a racial income and wealth gap, but there, I, the way I like to put it is sort of an opportunity gap. And what I see is more and more white Americans are falling into the category with, with black Americans who feel like what, what, there is no opportunity. They don't see a bright a horizon, something on the horizon. Even if they work, like you're saying, in these jobs, they're, called, they're sort of entry-level jobs, but they don't go anywhere. You know, you're, you're kind of stuck in this, and I think more and more white Americans, I think, I mean, obviously, Hispanic and black Americans are feeling in that, that category, and it feels stifling, and it feels like, hey, you know, I can't work one job and raise a family, and that's a big problem, you know, and I feel like we as a, you know, as a people, we have got to start advocating because, I, like I said, I mean, it's not even just the poor anymore. This is, this is a, a working class sort of middle class, you know, if you can even say that anymore. I'm not even sure if there is a middle class left in America, but this is uh, a struggle that a lot of people are finding themselves in, and it's our responsibility to really advocate, I believe, at this time. Yeah, there's no question about it. Uh, I think one of the things that needs to be brought up at this point is a lot of these people that have low-paying wages are also taking advantage of uh, government social programs, which indeed they should be able to because of the low wages. But we have to remember that those are tax dollars that people that are earning a reasonable wage are paying. So we're subsidizing a lot of major corporations, and I, I would hope that America is aware of that, but I'm not so sure. Well, the other thing, too, you know, uh, um, going back to sort of this neoliberal thought, and again, it's so important for us to check our assumptions and just the way we think about the poor or the working class, is that we have this idea that, uh, you know, anyone who goes to the government for help is lazy. Um, but the reality is, as we squeeze people, you know, it, it, without paying them what they're worth, and, and uh, you, know, they're, you know, we're not paying a living wage. Henry Ford in 1914 instituted the $5 
a work day. It was it was revolutionary. It was double what what other people were were paying at the time, and it, it proved the opposite. You know, instead of uh, creating inefficiency, it created incredible productivity. And suddenly, the people who were making Ford cars could buy Ford cars, and it was inviting people into uh, the middle class. It was this burgeoning middle class. But right now, we have this idea that you know people who go to the government are lazy, but we're we're strangling them so they can't make a living. And then they have to limp sort of with their head down and their hand out to the government. And it creates actually a sort a sense of shame for people rather than actually go- using our legislative power to address the corporate greed and enforcing them. We have legislative power. You can just raise the minimum wage. You know, put, give, force corporations to pay a living wage, and then we won't have to go to the government. We won't have to tax people so much. That's sort of exactly your point. We won't have to you know, take money away from everyone to create this sort of shameful existence. We can actually just take money from the corporations who are the ones who are making out like bandits. Uh, it's essentially a form of taxation on the corporation, which they have the lowest, you know, they, their tax rates have been slashed. We're the ones who are, who are carrying the burden of it. Let them carry the burden of it. Force them to, to pay the wage so that people can earn a living and they can feel good about their, they can have some dignity. They don't have to go to the government. I don't, people don't want to go to the government, you know. I've spent so much time with homeless, you know, they fly the signs and, uh, you know, sit them on the side of the road. It, it's shameful. It's terrible. They hate it. You know, it's not like we have this idea, oh, they're making out, you know, like, uh, you know, driving a BMW and begging on the side of the road. You know, I, we have these really strange ideas sometimes. It's, it's, people don't want welfare. They don't want food stamps. If they can make a living, they would. Exactly. But they can't. Exactly. And, it, and it's really our job to put pressure on these corporations to actually pay their work. Matt, this is Bruce. I have a quick question. If uh, we raise wages so that working people have living wages and uh, their fair share of the uh, economic bounty here in the United States, isn't it true that there won't be any money left at the top to trickle down to them? <laughs> well, um <laughs> I guess so. I think there's always going to be plenty of money at the top. I, the people at the top always have a way of figuring out how to get money. So, I mean, the the, the thing that we miss, uh, you know, we there was a progressive era in, in the United States. From there was a after the Gilded Age, if you remember, from kind of starting in 1870 and going into past the turn of the century. You know, you have these robber barons, you know, the Carnegies, the Rockefellers. And these businessmen were more powerful than the politicians of the day. You know, they were the ones running. You look, you look at New York City. You can't get anything done in New York City unless you know the right people. It's still like that to a degree, but, I mean, at the time, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was a crazy time in America. But you have this following this progressive era, and what's happening in the progressive era? You have people, they're getting smart, and they start attacking these robber barons, you know, the, the wealthy elite, not physically attacking them, but sort of policy-wise, whittling away at their, the ways that they're pocketing, squirreling away the money, you know, so they do, they do tax, uh, you know, policy. And one of the things we've got to do right now is antitrust law. You know, we've got to start breaking up some of these Amazons and Facebooks and Twitter. We know they've got too much power, but no one with any backbone will actually go up against them, you know. Um, so I think that the, the wealthy are always going to find ways to main, keep their wealth and offshore it and avoid taxes it's our job to be diligent on redistributing some of that wealth and targeting it so um i i think that i think the wealthy are going to be fine They're, they'll figure something out but we've got to be you know really diligent on 
uh, how are we going to address some of these abuses that we're seeing to, to fight for the, the people who don't have a voice uh, in, in the halls of government. Exactly. I would like to add at this point, you know, it, it's one of those situations where maybe they could have one less yacht and one less home and, you know, maybe really think about the fact that they might be considered corporatos and banksters. Well, I mean, I don't know who needs a hundred billion dollars, <laughs> you know? Uh, one of the things that we have not really thought about, you know, especially in the healthcare crisis, is how do we, you know, we think, oh, yeah, you know, all these uh, pharmaceutical makers, you know, they're, of course they're going to make all these drugs. Well, we are the ones, as a, as a nation, we set patent laws. We determine how long those patents are for. We determine how stringent they are. If there was no copyright or patent laws, you could get any drug for, you know, 10 or $15. Uh, but, but we have, you know, I have a friend who has to take a shot that's, Ten thousand dollars. It cost her ten thousand dollars to take a shot. Now, fortunately, she has insurance to cover that. But if she didn't, she'd probably be dead right now. You know, the reason why that shot is ten thousand dollars is because of patent laws and copyright laws. And so, again, in a free market, and this is going back to that neoliberal economics. People want this laissez-faire free market, but then they want all their copyright protections too. They want the government to intervene sometimes, but they don't want government to intervene. You know, when it comes to taking, away, you know, to building their wealth, they just don't want the government intervening when it comes to taking away their wealth. Yeah. Heads I win, tails you lose. <laughs> it's that simple. Matt, we have just a, a couple minutes left. Um, is there, you know, in some sense of this, you've already answered this question. In light of this, what would be the call to action, the step toward making a change? Right. And so one thing I've been, I've been really using lately, and I think this resonates especially after what's been going on this week, is that there is, there is a call right now in our nation to a new moral movement, an ethical movement. And I believe it's a God movement. You know, Jesus said, whatever you do to the least, you do to me. He said, you can't say to someone, oh yeah, here, here's some food and here's some clothes, some warm clothes, and then not give it to them. Like, we actually have to come uh, with some action to our heart, our sentiment, for the people who are suffering in America. And I believe it's time for us to come out of our camps, our Fox News, CNN camps, our liberal, you know, conservative camps, our Democrat, Republican camps. There are some of us here who actually care about people and not labels and not titles. I don't fit with every agenda item in either party. I have a hard time fitting myself into either party. But I do deeply care about people who are suffering people who are hungry, people who are cold, people who are trying to raise families and cannot make it work. That, to me, makes me angry, and it makes me sad, and it makes me want to do something. And so I just think we've, we've got to sort of take off the labels. You know, God's not on one side or the other. God cares about the poor. He cares about the least. He cares about the broken. And I really believe this is time for a new moral movement to advocate for change and, I, and, and practically speaking, I think we need to put some pressure on this administration to do what they said. You know, uh, they, they've made a lot of promises, but we're the ones who need to put pressure on to actually uh, see that those promises are, are, are accomplished in the next four, eight, you know, 10, 20 years. Yes, actually, you know, it's, it's, it really boils down to that question of Martin Luther King and him pointing that this, these very issues out many years ago and we still haven't learned that lesson but most certainly what most Americans want to do is work for the common good 
you know i i want to see everybody have a a life that is meaningful and fulfilling and i'm sure let me let me say one last thing absolutely billionaires it's billionaires who own the media companies that have pitted us against each other driving these narratives that oh they are so stupid oh i can't believe what they have done it's us versus them when in reality like you said most of us if you actually boil it down are not that far apart on all of these issues we are for the common good we've got to reject this narrative of us and them and start coming together and you know i think unity is the only way that we're going to actually get some of those civil rights ideas (laughs) we know what they are we repeat them but because we're not unified around them, we're not able to accomplish them. Matt, I, I hate to cut you off because basically you are on a roll and it's wonderful to hear somebody that's young and intelligent you know, really expound on this information. I would hope that our listeners would uh, take a look at your YouTube postings. They're spectacular. I'm glad that we had you. I would like to have you back again. It's always great to talk to you and thanks so much, Matt. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and our program schedule, please visit kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcasts at kpov.org.